The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast. You won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another episode of Smack My Pitch Up, a podcast where we reboot, remake, reimagine, sequel, cycle, mashup, and adapt some of your favorite and least favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, and what have you. And tonight we are talking about a deeply beloved universe, deeply beloved, that has been around since the uh, 70s. Yes. I think, was it 75? 75? No, 79, I think. It was yeah. late, late 70s, I believe, when the uh, first Mad Max movie hit the screen, and uh, the world was never the same again. I think it, just like George Romero was the creator of the modern zombie, the modern apocalyptic story started with the original uh, Mad Max movie. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's Aesthetic has informed absolutely everything that's come after it. All kinds of video games, even spawning multiple Mad Max video games, sure. TV shows, Basically, I mean, if you've seen Netflix's new show, Daybreak, they're just cribbing completely from Mad Max. It's Mad Max with teens. You've got people riding vehicles, thumping them, and wearing football pads and stuff. But of course, it's like jocks versus geeks, because it's sure. a post-apocalypse that only the kids are alive for. Yeah, right. But yeah, without Mad Max, that just never would have been envisioned. And just an amazing singular and unique vision from basically one guy. Yeah, George Miller yep. uh, was really the the person that came up with this identity of of the desert riddled post-apocalyptic wasteland yeah a true outsider picking up on making true outsider art at the time he was an emergency room doctor who got inspired by the car crash victims that he saw and thought hmm there might be a story in that and from there on the original mad max was built a western on wheels basically and some of the car crashes that you see in the first mad max especially are like dangerous as fuck incredibly dangerous like, this was an dangerous. era with no cgi and, and no safety protocols yeah, for uh, just, filmmaking it was just i hope you don't die stuntmen the... with big balls going yeah this looks like it'll hold up uh, i'll go ahead and ride this right into a semi truck and i believe there were a number of people injured on the especially the first mad max yeah. movie uh, i think on every single one there's been injuries because some of the stuff they do is out of this world. Yeah, it's bonkers. Physical action of like the highest order. Absolutely. And, the and most intense. Made to look, especially going into Fury Road, the most gorgeous yeah. high speed velocity action that I've ever seen. Uh, just the high contrast, the colors, the uh, fast paced scenes, all the moving parts at the same time. And I'm not talking about just cars going in and out and weaving. By the way, with me tonight to talk about uh, Mad Max and Reboot, Remake, Reimagine, Sequel 
is uh, Mike Reiser here. Hey guys, how's it going? A regular on Geeks Under the Influence. You've been on once before for Smack my pitch up with Lowdown where we adapt uh, unadapted Stephen King stories, I believe. Oh yeah, we did serious and wacky versions of all of them. Yes. It's great. <laughs> so I'm excited to see how we're going to ruin the Mad Max universe today. Yeah, uh, they ain't going to like my vision of Mad Max. No, it does cause... not share much in common with George Miller. I'll just say that now. I think everybody that was a fan of the Mad Max universe, uh, almost unanimously minus the sad boy uh like incel crowd loved fury road yeah it was accepted as being possibly the best mad max movie i'm of the opinion that it is as much as i have a deep love of road warrior yeah uh road warrior previously was my absolute favorite i love it to death uh, but fury road just brought it hard Yep, I will jock for the original for life. I feel like it's an absolute gut punch, one of those unmissable, incredibly violent 70s movies that just has to be experienced and taken in. But I will grant you, Fury Road is a delight for all of the senses. The visual palette is there. The action is just perfectly depicted. The set designing, the vehicle design, all absolutely flawless. And one thing that is very different from the other movies that the original Mad Max has is that it's almost borderline exploitation in its approach to the storytelling as opposed to Road Warrior and beyond that you're getting more into like high fantasy action yes. is more the approach. The original was ba essentially a Western styled revenge porn. Yeah. And it focuses on some of the more pornographic aspects of the violence. It's very up close and personal and it goes there. And in the seventies, that was pretty commonplace. You had stuff yeah. like I spit on your grave and last house on the left that really pushed the envelope on some of the violence and uh rape and assault and just yeah. a lot of the nastier parts of the human experience uh, yep. were put in full uh focus on the uh, film the other ones kind of pulled away a little bit yeah it's a I'm lot not less mad, not necessarily mad about the... it's an improvement i mean that yeah. the original is a very very heavy movie that deals with brutal violence against civilians who really don't deserve it it goes there with the violence against kids um Whereas nobody is going to have any other takeaway than absolute glee from Fury Road as a war boy jumps from vehicle to vehicle, oh. misses the leap. It's great. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. And there's so much uh, rewatchability with that film. There's yeah. so many things you can pull away and use as common parlance in your day-to-day -day life. The uh, shining chrome thing my friends say all the time uh, to Valhalla like uh, War Boys. Oh, there's so many things that we've taken and just kind of used as just our common vernacular from that film. Yep. Almost immediately. We're talking 2015. I believe Fury Road was the third or fourth. No, episode five. It was episode five of the our flagship show, Geeks Under the Influence, that we did on Fury Road. And that was 2015. Yeah, we're now here in the house that Mad Max has built. Yeah, right? And But that's only five years ago, and it's become as iconic as the ones previous to it. Yes. In that short of period of time, we're talking like 78, 79 when the first one came out. So that's a really impressive poll for something. I think 89 was the last Mad Max movie. Uh, it was something like that, or it was, it was, Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, and it came roaring back because they're all frankly timeless because no other movies behave the way that they do. No. Everything else is so concerned with world building and sequels and consistency. 
None of these are identical. If you're trying to link them all together, good luck. You would need the Charlie board from Always Sunny to connect the dots between Absolutely. the original and the current one because it just doesn't care about continuity, and that's something that's wonderful about it. It's, well, and it suggests that all of these are just stories of the Road right. Warrior, of Mad Max, that it's not necessarily something that did happen so much as kind of like a story told about it. A legend being retold at a campfire a hundred years later. Yes. Some of the details get remixed and are weird. Because and... the, the environment surrounding uh, Max has changed in every movie, and it looks like it just progresses further and further away from our version of yeah. modern day into a, the more apocalyptic, more post-apocalyptic. And it ages in such a manner that Max has got to be like 200 years old <laughs> by, by Fury yeah. Road and for it to make sense with the progression of the of society. But that's kind of the beauty of it is that these are all just stories. Yes. It doesn't have to fit. Uh, it's like Batman, where Batman is like an 80-year-old property uh, of, 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 of a comic. And there's no like... 105 year old dude running around fighting crime in a bat suit, you know, that, yep. that this story has to be told and retold and retold. And that's what makes it such a beautiful, almost James Bond, uh, property that you can just tell these stories and have new actors play the roles. And, uh, there's always going to be able a, a chance to breathe new life into it. Yeah, it's a canvas for storytelling, and that's what's absolutely wonderful about it. Even the video game just kind of went its own way, just borrowed parts of the world. The Interceptor, the Wasteland, some of the antagonists, but it's a very different take on Max and a very different little story inside of it, and that's awesome. We love that about it. It absolutely. frees the universe because then you're not saddled by the expectations. You don't have to satisfy a fan base that goes, well, I saw the previous film, and let me tell you something, that's not canon. None of that with Mad Max. Yeah. It's glorious and it's able to be remixed and be ludicrous. And that's the beauty of it is that it just embraces the craziness of the world so fully. Yes. Like there's no, there's no looking away at any point on the crazy. It just goes full speed ahead. Yeah. I mean, and I think that throttle. was the, the right decision that George Miller made over the years was to move the stories forward that way. You don't want to spend that much time in the world of the first film. It's basically on the beach. Society is dying. It is incredibly bleak. It is incredibly mm -hmm. grim. There is no fun to be had for anyone. And we're, we've been there. We've done that. We sat through our taxi driver. We watched a man's descent into madness. Cool. Let's move on. Uh, we've and seen we, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As good as that film is and i've seen it a few times it's fucking bleak yeah it's not, not something you'd throw on for a, a for, light uh, afternoon that, fun. that's not a like cuddle with the missus on the couch and watch a fun movie you know then and eat popcorn like the road is like tragic yep. and dark but and, the road warrior absolutely is that kind oh of movie God, that you'd much some popcorn to. on the microphone with the like the metal like hockey mask and the dude strapped to the front of the car that there's this whole bit that Patton Oswalt does about his depression where he talks about when he's depressed, he just feels like he's the dude that's strapped to the front of the uh, car. Like let's fuck the sad boy. I fucking, I don't give a shit. It's fine. You know, just like this useless character, which that strapped to the front of the car, they pay homage to in Fury Road. Oh, totally. When they strap Max to the when car, they strap Max to the front of the car. <laughs> so it's a beautiful callback without that, that being considered just a thing that happens all the time. It's yep. just more, you see the re rationale for both <laughs> exactly. strapping to the fronts of cars, and they're different. Yeah, and it's neat that way. And then, of course, it goes full tilt insanity into uh, Beyond Thunderdome, where it's just like, we're going to go bonkers, and we're going to have a blast with this. This thing is going to be so gonzo and so over so the top. So ridiculous. And that is one of those movies that I think everybody loves and also hates at the same time. It's yeah, there are aspects that didn't age well about it, certainly. And sure. there's certain times where the effects and performances could have been better. 
but I do love that it gave birth to a world where anything becomes possible in the wasteland because otherwise the stories are just too grim. Absolutely. And what I love is also birthed that movie specifically, but all the Mad Max film has actually birthed a weekend desert festival called Wasteland Weekend that involves a Thunderdome. They have an actual Thunderdome that they put out that people have, well, not to the death battles. I think that would probably be frowned upon by the, uh, by the local (laughs) authorities, Uh, just a bunch of like rivet heads and goth kids in the desert, murdering each other in a, in a, in a metal cage Uh, might not be acceptable outside of a nine inch nails video. But what I love is uh, the aesthetic has been kind of taken by festival goers and, and subculture kids and just sci-fi and, and action and horror nerds. And it's been incorporated into our just daily life. Um, not quite as much where we're wearing giant metal hockey masks and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> flying planes and, and to knock people off their camel ridden carts <laughs> to steal <laughs> their shit. But yeah, it's definitely, it's deeply ingrained in at least our generation's identity. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And you can trace it's it, it, you can trace the progression of it through all kinds of post-apocalyptic entertainment that we've had. The Fallout series especially has full-on embraced that aesthetic and finding a new pair of football pads in those games is one of the best things that can happen for oh, you. Oh, sure. And one thing that uh I could absolutely take place in the Mad Max world without changing a damn thing is a lesser-known little apocalyptic film with Rudger Hauer, Joan Chen, and the first film role of Vincent D'Onofrio called uh, uh, the Blood of Heroes, also known as Day of the Jugger, and it's a sports movie set in the post-apocalypse, and it's absolutely a knockoff of uh, Mad Max, minus the cars. It's just that desert landscape, apocalyptic environment, not long after the first uh, Mad Max came out, or I think it was right after Road Warrior that this one came out, and it's completely a knockoff, but it's brilliant. Um, one of the best knockoffs of Mad Max that's ever been put out. So I'd thoroughly suggest people checking that out. If, if you can find a copy, it's been out of print here and there uh, for years. But so. yeah, I mean, that, that aesthetic just penetrated so deeply into the pop culture that like, I can't think of Mad Max without immediately hearing Tupac and Dr. Dre's California love in the back of my head, because in that one, they made their own Thunderdome. Tupac was wearing the leather and riding around on like ridiculously over the top muscle cars. There's also a Unleash the Archers video that is straight up a Mad Max uh, music video, basically. I mean, it's happened. There's a few uh, that have done that, and uh, it's always a blast. I love it. Yep. So us talking at length and uh, lovingly about this series, how are we going to approach this? Now, I'm looking at this being more just another story in the Mad Max world. So I'm not remaking Beyond Thunderdome or Road Warrior or Mad Max. This is its own story and i came up with kind of like a basic plot line uh the plots are never overly complicated no i think uh like fury road is basically let's go to the green place let's steal the women that are like captive and go to the green place uh green place doesn't exist all right let's go back yeah and that's, that's literally that's the entire movie the entire right fucking there. plot the first one is can be summed up as max has a run-in with bad people max kills them that's yep. it. <laughs> and the, the plot of the second one is basically Max has to deliver a truck somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Evil desert hockey dude uh, gets in the way. Yeah, yeah. And the, the third one absolutely has no plot. Don't try to connect it from start to finish. It's just a feast for the eyes and ears. Yeah, Max tries to get his camel cart back. <laughs> and, yeah, and then he kind of gives up on that. Hijinks ensue. They I, blow up a factory at one point. Yeah, There's some fights. It's a lot. And a big chase at the end, of course. Absolutely. You have to have a chase. <laughs> of course. So 
for your Mad Max version, uh, what what's the kind of plot summation? What are, what are we looking at here? So I think that the Wasteland is a very, very interesting place where you can tell all kinds of stories, including a screwball physical comedy. There are certainly some elements of humor in Fury Road. I will not say it's a laugh, bust your sides kind of movie, because it isn't. But you will laugh at the audaciousness of a lot of the stuff that's happening in it. It's wacky as hell. Coma the Doof Warrior riding on a giant truck made out of speakers is with a, a tether on the him. The greatest thing a that's guitar- ever been put to film. It's insanely great. And, but it's also so stupid. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so impractical. Ridiculous. That guy would oh, be yeah. dead in oh, like absolutely. a second. He would have blown up the truck with all that fire. You can't control a guitar at 60 miles an hour. What are you doing? <laughs> this makes no sense. Over rough roads and you know, outback? No. I don't care if it makes sense or not. Uh, like, visually, it is amazing. And it's so oh, yeah. funny and so weird. And then there's the entire drum section of Slipknot on the back. Yep, uh, like that's right. Like, in their drums. <laughs> Wearing masks and everything. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, since it's ludicrous and over the top already to begin with, what I would do would be to take it all the way. And we're going to do a wacky screwball comedy, equal parts road movie, buddy comedy, and do lots of physical comedy and pratfalls. And there's really only one director out there who can tie this all together and give it the reverence of the action it needs, but also bring out the best things about the uh, comedic actors cast. And that's Paul Figg. I know, I know. Yes, he makes the exact same movie over and over, but he does it very, very well for what he does. And if you're going to shoehorn bridesmaids into Ghostbusters, why not shoehorn bridesmaids into Mad Max? That's exactly what I'm thinking. And people, you know, give him a hard time about the Ghostbusters. We could do a whole episode on that. We won't. Um, But uh, yeah, like he actually really did a great job with deft action and silliness in Spy, which had Melissa McCarthy, but also some good physical talent with Jason Statham helping out. And the action sequences in it are perfect. Whether the action sequence is the, the beginning where Jason Statham is making his way through a enemy base, killing people left and right and punching them while Melissa McCarthy talks him through it, or if it's her trying to drive a smart car around a foreign city, it's awesome. I would actually agree about Spy. That's one of those movies that I thought was going to be stupid. It is stupid, no, but in the stupid, best possible way. in the way. best way. Yep. And then finally checked it out on HBO or something when it first came out on one of the movie channels and was absolutely surprised by how much i enjoyed that movie it was a delight yeah it was a delightful movie super fun it's fun very aware of itself didn't try to be more important than it actually was you know it was a fun uh you know quirky very funny um like action comedy and that's it that's all it was supposed to be yeah, it was great. It was yeah, fun that way. Absolutely. Yeah, sort of a, a lethal weapon update, but with uh, some new physical talent for it. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, with that in mind, what I'm going to do is go ahead and pitch my story right now, directed and written by Paul Fig. And here we have, uh, we're going to open on the desert and it's going to be a scene. We've got two slave truck drivers going. Think Furiosa, but like a working Joe with no hope of getting out of it. And these two truck drivers driving the long haul rig together. We have Kevin James and Melissa McCarthy. They begin. A man needs his muse and she absolutely (laughs) is his. Okay. Um, So they begin bantering back and forth while they're driving this rig across the desert about how great things used to be and how much they miss the old ways, mostly going to the fast food court at their local mall, since these are, of course, 
sort of your working Joes, and that's what they miss the most now that they're enslaved and have to drive big rigs in the baking heat and radiation all day, every day. Sure. They'd love to get away, but unfortunately, they have a cruel boss overseeing them. And this is where my master disaster comes in. Yeah, a little nod to the original Master Jesus, Blaster. Master disaster. All right. And of course, since that Master Blaster was just a guy riding on another guy, who else would we have for this but Kevin Hart riding on the shoulders of his best buddy, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? That needs to be a Halloween costume at the very least one year <laughs> just to make the internet fully explode. Oh, yeah. If they want to be the best thing that's ever happened on the they internet. They go as Master Blaster. They go as Master it's Blaster. Done. They're done. Yeah. They're fucking I've enjoyed done. them going as each other, especially this year with Kevin going as like the rock circa 1999. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. It's a blast. Um, so anyhow, uh, these guys are going about their usual routine, um, trying not to get thrown in the hold by their cruel master yet again when they have a chance encounter with a mysterious woman in the desert of course played by another paul fig muse and one of the most absolutely wonderful and unique singular talents out there kate mckinnon as oh, a absolutely mysterious but tough as nails wanderer in the desert gee i wonder who that could possibly be in this franchise yeah right who tells them that she'll help them get out of their plight but in exchange she's going to need a ride to what she knows to be the last standing food court on the edge of the wasteland <laughs> After a high tension and high action escape sequence from the camp in which this mysterious stranger helps them out, um, they'll go on a journey across and it'll be a hilarious road movie as they meet new people. But they'll find themselves with uh, Master Disaster's top lieutenants in hot pursuit, played by none other than, of course, Paul Fig, go-to bad guy and straight woman Rose Byrne and Kristen Wiig. Nice. Yep. Uh, I can see Kristen Wiig like, and Rose Byrne like, with the, just the banter between them being exactly. like, the lackey characters. Yeah, henchmen. Yeah, total henchmen move where they're kind of aware of how inept they are, but they're just happy they're not getting murdered. Exactly. Yeah. Cruel lieutenants in search of their prey. Absolutely. That they don't really want to catch because, let's face it, everybody wants to get to the food court. Yeah, right? <laughs> Battle for the food court. <laughs> I think that was the name of a Stranger <laughs> Things episode. Mad actually. Max, Orange Julius Road. Yeah, right. I think we have a title. <laughs> so the, your basic deal is like kind of Fury Road, but to a food court. Yeah, because I think Paul Fig could competently handle the action with that. The car chases would be a-okay. He's done them before in a bunch of his movies. The fist fights would be fine. It won't dishonor the action legacy of the franchise, but he can absolutely play up the wackiness. Well, and the wackiness especially, all you really need to do is approach what vehicles are being Mad Maxed uh, to really make it funny without actually having to change any of the dialogue instead of like old beat up like hot rods and stuff that are being meshed together to make these really cool crazy looking cars you can have like a vw thing or i don't know an astro van <laughs> that is being converted into something wildly impractically post-apocalyptic and then there's your joke you know yep. you find that fine line between it being it can't be so over the top that it's like straight up stupid yeah but it can't be really cool it's somewhere right in between exactly and of course that that helps with the jokes i would imagine master disaster having a whole fleet of smart cars he would send after it you don't want your war boys riding a mustang in this that's got a bunch of like chrome and armor on it that's not nearly as funny as trying to cram three muscly men into this tiny little smart car right or even something like a smart car and then you have to show something that they didn't show at all in fury road that actually annoyed me a little bit is like how are none of these cars getting stuck in the sand? 
Yeah. Like that you have the, like a whole process they do where they're pouring like kitty litter, like it would be at their snow or something. Yeah. Trying to get traction to get these cars out or get the chains around a thing to pull a thing out. And somebody bringing their brand new invention, which is like the, the post-apocalyptic scooter and it just not working at all. And them just being slowed down so much by these impractical post-apocalyptic vehicles. Yeah, it, it, they shouldn't be able to travel like they're on like an empty freeway in a Midwest city or something where everybody's doing 95 miles an hour. No, the desert's full of hazards and the desert's full of sand. Yeah, <laughs> like you, it, you're not going to go that fast. You're going to sink. It you're going to shovel more sense if these things had like sled parts on the front and then just big like weird like rudder tires on the back to help them get through the sand. But no, um, the monster truck stuff. Okay. I'll accept that as like being able to get through the sand. Right. Yeah. It's built for it already. Yeah. But they've got like the, the inferior, they've got the, the badlanders, the, 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 just the dudes that live out in the wasteland with all the spiky cars and there's straight up a VW bug. Yeah. There's a VW bug in there that like, I know can't go through a heavily gravel road without running into trouble, without like not being, not being able to get traction because it's so light. I cannot imagine that trying to get through the sand. Yeah, just like the this always drove me kind of nuts about the original. I know it's awesome. It's the last V8 car left in the world when he gets the final interceptor, that Ford Falcon, which is like totally sweet and can run circles around everything. But it's a world where gas is a precious commodity. Do you really want a car that gets four miles per gallon? (laughs) It looks cool, but like Max's journey would be over 10 minutes into the wasteland. Oh, could you imagine him just like tearing ass like tortoise and hairstyle? He's the hair tearing ass in this car that's getting like very bad gas mileage. And here's these post-apocalyptic Priuses that are just (laughs) just in cruise mode to for gas saver mode, you know, just cruising at a very respectable speed behind him not catching up at all knowing that eventually he's gonna have to stop yeah all they gotta do is watch him it's just like a matter of time he's gonna run out like i've drove some muscle cars they're absolutely great but like you also have to fill up at the gas pump like literally every other day yeah they have a tank that's about the size of a soda bottle usually yeah and it takes about that just to go like a mile yeah yeah. Exactly. It burns through that tank in no time, especially flat out. Ridiculous. See, it's a ridiculous world already. So Absolutely. screwball comedy could work out there. Now, I've got some ideas of my own that I want to get into here. Now, I have two different versions. I'm going to first off go with uh, now my v- story is going to be the same for both versions. It's just the approach and the tone are going to be different from my two different versions. But the overall story, I wanted to kind of give a nod back to the original Mad Max movie and my serious version, the version I think might actually work. I'm actually trying to recapture a little bit of that uh, bleak tone from the original. So I decided to get a director that uh, knows bleak real well. Uh, He was the director of The Road. He also did The Proposition and he did Lawless. So talk about three films that have some very bleak notes, but especially with Lawless, has some really dark humor kind of strewn in as well, which is something that I do want to approach this with. It's not just bleak. There are going to be those uncomfortable, funny moments uh, throughout the bleakness, I'm going with uh, John Hillcote as the director, and uh, he's a he absolutely understands how to uh, use the world itself as a character in the film. He's done that with all three of these movies: Lawless, Proposition, and The Road. And that's the kind of eye that you need for Mad Max. The world itself is a character, and it has to be treated as such um, in 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 these roles. Now, for my casting or for my story, 
the basic gist is that I wanted to call back to the fact that he lost his wife and child um, in the original Mad Max. By this time, there's a mother that's attempting to rescue her daughter from a cult of children who uh, kill all the adults showing any kind of signs of radiation uh, sickness, which has been shown in especially Fury Road, where there was a little tumor that drew the happy face on. Yes. And it was Nux's little buddy. <laughs> uh, that basically that these are kids that have... Uh, were born into and have been part of the wasteland their entire lives and don't necessarily have an immunity to radiation, but aren't as affected by it as the, the adults. And they've through their trials and tribulations in the wasteland noticed that the radiation heavy people tend to act erratically and dangerously. So they're basically eradicating the threat is, is the move here. So it's a bunch of basically children of varying ages from very young to uh, basically early adulthood as being the uh, this clan of kids, ex- except for their leader, who they call the Elder. Um, and so the mother, um, who in this is just referred to as mother, there's no full name given to her, um, is uh, runs into Max and basically convinces him to help her save her kid. And there's a, almost a level of kind of like finding closure that Max feels he's going to get from helping this, you know, this mother and child uh, escape this dangerous situation you know that's something that he wasn't able to do is protect his his wife and child in a dangerous situation so it's kind of like coming full circle again um now it's a it's a girl instead of a, a her his son like in in the original um so that that's the basic uh gist of it now what ends up coming into play during this is that um the backstory of of max and the mother kind of comes back and forth and this has granted been decades since um and it turns out that this is his wife um that has been like basically doesn't really remember much of her former life they're they've both been like beaten up and scarred and ruined to the point where they can't even really recognize each other anymore there was still some semblance of society at the beginning and that's kind of also a note and also something difficult to portray on screen is how much this world has ruined people to the point where even the person that was your biggest love and the person that had all your focus, even after their death, um, you don't even recognize them when you see them like 20 years later, like they're a different person. Yeah. It's a great idea to explore. And I, the first film thematically, it absolutely fits with that. Yeah. Max becomes a different person throughout that movie. And earlier we were discussing the, the big central question that's left unanswered. Was his wife still alive? And, uh, I, I'm inclined to think that sure she was after the gang attacks his family, but uh, I don't think after what Max does and goes out to the wasteland, she would ever want him back because he is not the same once the wasteland touches him. I kind of like the idea of them not making it like a happily ever after where he finds his wife again so much as like that is the closure he needed for like thinking that she was dead and all that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're back together again all of a sudden. Yeah, and John Hillcoat's a fantastic choice to direct a story like that, given his pedigree directing Western films. Um, the original first two Mad Max movies are absolutely Westerns, just sure. transplanted out there. Absolutely. The first one's a classic revenge plot, and then the second one is, of course, the story of a man who comes into a town, has to choose a side, and uh, make the right decision on that. Well, it's basically the Man With No Names movies, the, yeah. the old spaghetti Westerns. It's literally the first two of them, yeah. before you get to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, exactly, for a few dollars more and a fistful of dollars. Well, it's that same premise that's used in the Zatoichi films as well. Yep. It's like a dude rolls into town, he seems kind of like not worth even worrying about by the people. And then he breaks bad 
and uh, and saves the day and then rolls out of fucking town. Yeah, because the DNA of samurai and Western films is, of course, tied together oh, permanently. Absolutely. Yeah. You look, I mean, even the titles, you know, there's the Magnificent Seven and the Seven Samurai. You know? Yep, like, it's, it's a literal remake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just transported from one universe to another. So I think that's a fantastic idea to explore that because that is a central Western theme. Absolutely. You look at, and I'm a huge fan of Westerns yeah. or that style of Western. Some of the like super wooden cutout town kind of old old Westerns aren't quite my bag. But the like grizzled, you know, spaghetti westerns and and you know, kind of bleak old westerns and yeah. newer westerns are definitely my back. It's one of the it's one of the main themes of one of the best westerns ever made, Unforgiven. A oh man my who God. is defined by his work, but his desire for something more. And then of course the finale is just a descent into everything you don't want it to be. Yeah. And that message is there that things do change you. Absolutely. The world around you, especially. Absolutely. And that's definitely something I want to come across with this, uh, this version here. Now with my casting, I wanted characters that could play bleak, but also could be playful with the action as well. I don't want this to be straight up the road where it's just bleak all the way through. There are going to be some fun action elements. There are going to be some comedic moments um, or beats in this film along with the very bleak and, and heartfelt redemption story um, that I'm trying to tell here. So uh, for Mad Max, uh, that's a tough call. I mean, I think they nailed it with Tom Hardy taking over for Gibson. He did a fantastic job and he, he was able to do proper justice to the original while still making it his own as well. Tom Hardy's Mad Max is not the same Max from any of the previous. No, not at all. It's its own creature. And I want this actor to be able to do the same. And I think in this tone, with this director, who he's worked with a lot, uh, I think Guy Pierce would be a great choice for uh, a Mad Max. He's kind of face feels a little sunken in, like he's he, he just looks tired, you know, yeah. and, and done the right way. And uh, I want this Max character character to be even more broken than he was in Fury Road, just on the edge of giving up, where he's finally at his end. You know, that's the, almost the old man Logan kind of. Um, kind of tone to this character where he's not necessarily old in age, but he's, he's at the end of his rope. Yeah. It's an interesting concept because Max definitely got younger from Thunderdome to Fury Road. <laughs> yes, he definitely did. The world around him fell apart a lot more. But... Yeah. That he found some fountain of youth to help him get along. So uh, of course, Guy Pierce, you may know from uh, the proposition that John Hillcote directed. He was also in the road. Uh, the Rover, if you've not had a chance to see it is an Australian post-apocalyptic film. Uh, with Robert Pattinson in it as well, who does a fantastic job, actually. And uh, it's a very slow-paced, very dark, post-apocalyptic Australian film, so it's almost like he's made <laughs> to uh, I was something. just about to mention Guy Pierce is Australian, and yes. uh, the character is, of course, Australian to begin with, and uh, it's not his first rodeo in the desert. I made sure that on both my versions there were um, Aussie actors that played max i felt like it was kind of important actually as much as i appreciate tom hardy and he's a brit which is closer than an american playing max but yep and to be fair that was essentially a non-verbal max for out throughout most of sure fury road absolutely so um so guy pierce is my mad max then the mother character i wanted to be uh, a younger actress uh somebody that could look has the motherly kind of look you know wider hips not like a slender you know not the at least their own uh body type, more of kind of a, a shorter statured, but fierce, uh, woman that is clearly not used to fighting. You know, it, it has survived this long, but it's not 
the badass is more emotionally grounded than Max. And that's kind of the balance as opposed to like Furiosa, who was Max's equal physically being able to fight. I wanted this to be more that, um, that mother was able to make the smarter decisions, was able to think on her feet faster than Max was kind of one step ahead because of even through all the shit she had been through was still able to maintain some like grounding in this world where that's gone insane. Everyone has gone insane. And that's her superpower almost is just being level-headed. And uh, I thought an actress that has done a lot of comedy stuff, a lot of comedy stuff, mostly comedy stuff, but I think could do it given the, given the opportunity. Um, I put America Ferreira. Ooh, an from, interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it would be fun to put her in there. Uh, you know, her from ugly Betty superstore sisterhood of the traveling pants. Uh, Great actress, a great comedic actress, has done pretty much comedies. So I'm interested to see uh, what you do when you mix that. I mean, if you do comedy, you can do just about anything. But yeah. you, you give her a little bit more fire in her character and just see what happens. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see that. Then the kid who I've named uh, Quicks with a K, because weird names in the post-apocalypse. Everybody's oh, yeah. got fucking... Can't be normal. Max is the most boring name in the, the whole franchise. It's the most boring name. There's so many other weird-ass names, and I, I just decided to go with Quicks. I don't know. There's no reason for it. It's just what I came up with. Still not as weird as Coma the Doof Warrior. Yeah, right? <laughs> what, Toe Cutter, I think, is a character yeah. from the first one? Yeah, it's just all sorts of... There's a lot of uh, so-and-so, the, and just their temperament. Yep. That's the name of characters in a lot of these. Basically, yeah, they all translate to the violent asshole. Yeah, the violent or the smart or the whatever. It's it's like they're wizards. Yeah. <laughs> just being named by their temperament. Um, so Quicks is just Quicks. And uh, for the daughter of uh, America Forever, I went with an actress that absolutely fucking blew me away in Logan and is now the main actor or a character in his dark materials, the golden compass series that just dropped on, I believe HBO. Uh, she plays, uh, Lyra and that played, uh, Logan's clone daughter in, uh, in Logan talking to Daphne. Spoiler. Keen. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Big surprise there. <laughs> if you've never read a comic X two is literally made out of Wolverine <laughs> <laughs> with toe, toe knives. It's got toe knives, yep. uh, but Daphne Keen killed it. Absolutely killed yeah. it. in uh, in Logan, is multilingual, which I think I kind of like incorporating language as being a gap in some of the conversations in Mad Max, because that's not been done as much. No, because we've only seen one little corner of the world, and it's Australia, which is very much of one population, one isolated island. I think sure. that's what made it perfect for that viewpoint of it. And the first Mad Max movie emphasizes the rest of the world might be falling apart, but Australia is just watching from the safety of an ocean away. Yeah. And that was, of course, the like main part of like Australia's greatest literary work is arguably a post-apocalyptic novel. Neville shoots on the beach. Same deal. The rest of the world's tearing itself apart and Australia waiting to die. <laughs> That's amazing. So Australia has a certain view of things, yes. I guess. It's just uh, just sitting on the beach waiting for the world to end. And uh, so Quicks will be one of those people visiting Australia, I guess, um, <laughs> from a distant land that's also falling apart. Uh, Daphne Keene's incredible. I'm thinking she'll knock it out of the park as being kind of the action counterpart to Max in this story. The mother is the grounded one that's the smarts, but Quicks is named Quick because she's quick. She's she's the... Oh, that's clever. Yeah, I get it. See, wow. It's, yeah, it's, it's about as clever as the rest of the fucking names <laughs> in the Mad Max movies. So uh, that's the daughter that's been kidnapped sl uh, slash uh, kind of 
indoctrinated into this kid cult that's killing people, you know. Oh, mother also clearly has some uh, effects from the radiation, not mentally, like she's all in, in complete capacity there, but there's bumps and stuff, like definitely target on her back for this group. Yeah, some of the magic of Fury Road was the weird physicality of what it did to some of the people. Yeah. 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 That movie relishes its close-ups of deformities. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of deformities, the uh, that's going to be the funniest part about this is that the elder, their elder, is one that is kind of cloaked in rags and you don't really see much of them throughout. And that's the no shit Sherlock reveal at the end of this, that this is somebody that is deeply affected by radiation and is constantly veiled and cloaked, you know, so is kind of the antithesis of what they've taught the kids to believe, you know, and part of it is a feeling of like protecting the kids from being around radiation as much as possible so that they don't turn out like him kind of deal. Um, and also just cause it's just a, what a twist, you know, fuck it. Why not? Um, the name of the character fully is wretch the elder. Ah, I like that. Yeah. And uh, so I wanted it being an elder in the re- real version that I'm trying to push. I wanted it to be not that old of a character. Got maybe 10 years on these kids. Maybe. And really have that as part of the conversation is that life expectancy is dwindling significantly in this post-apocalyptic environment. That 10 years past adulthood or into adulthood makes you an elder. Yeah, there are no nursing homes in the wasteland after all. (laughs) That's maybe the title of the episode. There might be food courts, but no nursing homes. No nursing homes in the wasteland. That might be the name of the episode. That's great. Uh, I decided to go with Evan Peters. Ooh, and if great you're un- choice. Unfamiliar. Uh, he was in American Horror Story. He was Quicksilver in the new run of X Men movies. Uh, he was the best friend in Kick Ass as well. And uh, yeah, he's a great comedic actor. He is able to do action relatively well. He can get dark. He can go from friendly to dark very quickly. And that's kind of what I need for this character is somebody that has that kind of like almost like sa- Satan kind of approach to things of being very cordial and kind and. Um, and very accepting and then turning on a dime. Yeah, his his performance as Kai, the cult leader in American Horror Story cult, really informs and sells that he could do that very, very sure, well. Sure, yeah, absolutely. There's moments of tenderness that make what follows all the more tragic as he bonds with his early followers, reaches out his pinky and says, I want you to trust me. We're going to make some promises to each other. And then, of course, there's always madness lurking beneath the surface. Sure. And you just know, like, when he gets the cult together, somebody's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and that's... Something that I think he uh, really needs to be important for this character is that this is a cult leader. This yeah. is somebody that's convinced these children that he's fine, totally fine, don't look behind the garbs, never mind the man behind the curtain, um, that he's good, uh, kill all these other motherfuckers. And he creates this like little kid army <laughs> that is yep. uh, getting him food and water and like protecting him and um, under this guise of him being you know this seer that knows like the right way to do things. So, um, so that's Rush the Elder. Now, that's all my cast list for this. Um, this goes now into my fun or remix version Ooh. of this. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on explaining uh, why I chose these Just got to drop the remix. Let Just that hot fire happen. Let that hot track drop. This is our Old Town Road remix featuring Billy Cyrus right here. Absolutely. In podcast form. Uh, vinyl comes out next week. This remix version is going to be directed by Rob Letterman. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the director, he is the director of uh, the first Goosebumps movie, Detective Pikachu, Gulliver's Travels, Monsters vs. Aliens, and Shark Tale. That's right. I'm doing a fun 
kids comedy version of Mad Max in my remix version. So we're doing the kids getting over on the adults kind of like wacky hijinks ensue kind of approach to Mad Max in this one. And the Mad Max to help me along with that, that's the adult that's trying to save the day, but keeps getting fucked up by the kids and the kids end up having to save the day because they fuck up the real hero of the story by just being kids and doing dumb shit. That's the the twist there. The normal kid movie thing. Yeah. I'm going with Liam Hemsworth. Of course. As Mad Max. It's a pretty straightforward, like... Strong physical presence. But also has some comedic timing oh, as yeah. well. And, and would be able to play in that space relatively well. And just be the, like, overacting, Whoa, you kids! And just sell <laughs> it. And, uh, of course, from Hunger Games, Independence Day Resurgence. Um, the Charlie Bit My Finger <laughs> serious <laughs> version movie with his brother. Um, for Mother... Again, the storyline is relatively the same. I wanted a strong, independent woman that won't take no sass, um, but also, you know, loving. And, you, and you're and you really seeing her as the most grounded character in this film, the one that you're, you know, is making the smart decisions and is looking out for the kids and, and honestly has the head screwed on the most, uh, but also incredibly funny. And uh, a woman that has a direct line to my funny bone, as they say in Zombieland, um, Maya Rudolph. Oh, yeah, absolutely hilarious. She's, fucking hilarious from SNL uh, wine country and the happy time murders. She is unbelievably funny. I think would knock it out of the park as a, just a funny version of this mother character that I created. Yeah. So then quicks the kid. Uh, That's always tougher because I don't know a lot of kid actors. I'm not, you know, scanning the internet for teenage girl actresses because that's <laughs> and nor should you be no, you'll be on a watch list that's a lot um i worry about the things i google just for the show and <laughs> it doesn't raise any eyebrows no no i truly mean mr fbi guy yeah. is for a project <laughs> and also being like what are you into because right after it's like teenage girl actors it's like old dudes that look weird actors <laughs> I did. like what are you into <laughs> we're gonna make the world's most unpleasant deep fake here yes absolutely so uh for quicks i decided to go with an actress that has been in a number of tv shows um and small parts in some movies but then got a big break in detective pikachu she was the main um the the, like reporter chick that was the love interest in detective pikachu um catherine newton she was also abigail in big little lies uh she was one of the daughters in blockers and uh, she had a small part in three billboards as well which I feel like if, even if you're a background actor in three billboards, that movie's so good that that gives you it's gravitas. Fantastic, that yeah. just gives you gravitas for being in the vicinity of where they were filming it. People go, oh, yeah, fair. You were in three billboards. Yep. Cool. Um, and then, of course, Wretch the Elder. It being a uh, Rob Letterman film, having worked with him on such movies as Goosebumps and Gulliver's Travels, Wretch the Elder, the boil-covered older gentleman that is, has an army of kids, Jack Black, uh, <laughs> reprising the same kind of character that he did in School of Rock yep. is what I'm looking or at. Or as R.L. Stein in Goosebumps. Or as R.L. Stein as well, yeah. So Jack Black as the main villain against Liam Hemsworth and uh, Maya Rudolph. <laughs> so, and then kid comedy, hijinks, lots of bonk noise uh, noises thrown in and post at it, you know, that's that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, it's a universe that could lend itself well to slapstick comedy. Some of the things that happened to War Boys and Fury Road certainly almost qualify. And you were even talking about a new series on Netflix that I've not had the chance to watch yet. Um, what, what's that one called? Daybreak. Daybreak. That is basically like a post-apocalyptic kids show. It is, yeah. It's Although, a Mad Max universe with kids. Apparently it is more on kind of on the R side a little bit, though, in some aspects, though. But it, yeah. it is 
kids ruling the world. So, oh yeah, it's very very splattery, but it's also very very funny. Good. Yeah, I'm gonna have to it's check. Not that out. too serious at all. It's, Excellent. Yeah. Imagine if like tomorrow, if the adults all died and we let the kids take over. I guarantee you the theater department would have themselves clad in Mad Max gear in under a minute. Oh, for sure. I would. Yeah. (laughs) And that's basically the premise of the show. I would be like approaching my 40s dude being like, where do I find hockey pads Yep. uh, at at this hour in the post-apocalypse? I can't. I don't know. Dick's Sporting Goods? Oh, they're all sold out. Crap. Uh, I guess we're going to go use. (laughs) Play it against sports it is. (laughs) For all your post-apocalyptic The used ones, ones have more character anyway. That's true. They look already look apocalyptic. Yeah. So you don't want to be bright white shoulder pads in the No, you don't have the price tag on it. No one's going to take you seriously. No, no, no. I am throw door of the engine block brigade. Everybody knows you didn't kill a roaming samurai to get those. You found them <laughs> while you were trying to loot something. <laughs> you took your it dad off. bought them for you two days before the bombs fell. Exactly, right? So yeah, you got to get the previously used uh weathered uh yeah. ho- hockey and uh, football stuff for your post-apocalyptic needs yeah hey maybe there's a market niche here we should start selling distressed football pads to like high school players out there who want to look cool <laughs> if only there was a high school edgy enough to have their football team look like warriors from the post-apocalypse yeah just like go out there with ripped jerseys and scarred helmets to begin with as opposed to just like that only happens at like poor schools that have no budget <laughs> Uh, and just call them like the Fury Rotors or the Furies yeah. even. That's fine. You're good to go. Mm-hmm. I think this is the way to go. You, I mean, think about how into the football games the AV club would be. Yeah, you could get a, you could inspire a whole new legion of fans. Absolutely. You've got the jocks and the nerds working together. So they would have the greatest halftime show ever because AV club's like into it. Like, let's do this. Uh, they're ratting out like hot rods and stuff with like projector screen stuff. And it would be... Just glorious in the best way. Yeah. Every so often there's like a school that rides a horse onto the field at halftime or has like a bunch of people carrying flags across it. No, fuck that. Drive a souped up Camaro onto the field that belches fire everywhere. (laughs) With just the quarterback strapped to the front hood of it. Yep. Because it's just doing donuts on the 50 yard line over and over again. I'm into it. I would get my teaching degree just to teach at that school. Yeah, I'm not paying $3 to go to a high school football game around here and eat like cold dominoes while I'm watching it. But you know what? If you pull that kind of shit, I'll be there. I will pay 20 to go to that game. I would too. For fucking sure. And just the band is literally just the doof warrior. Yep. (laughs) Just a bass player that spits fire out of his base. Yeah, I know all the athletic directors out there listening are stressed out trying to schedule wrestling meets with other schools. Guys, it's Tuesday nights. What the hell? You don't have that much to do. Give us a spectacle. We demand entertainment. The wrestlers hanging off of giant like uh, <laughs> like poles that are swinging across either sideline onto the field, able to pull up opposing team players if they get close enough to them. And it changes the rules entirely. Oh, yeah. As we saw in Thunderdome, bungee cords make literally every sport better. Do it. <laughs> I'm I'm so deeply into this. And then you actually have to battle to the death in the Thunderdome in the uh, end zone. Yeah, everybody really liked the Hunger Games. Why not drop a couple of bodies while we're at it? That's like if you can either go for the extra point through the field goal, or if you want to go for the two-point conversion, you have to battle to the death in the Thunderdome. Two men enter, one-point conversion leaves. (laughs) That's right. I think we have a a winning idea here. 
Yeah, we have just revolutionized sports and kept uh, <laughs> with all the concerns about CTE and stories that parents won't let their kids play football. Well, football, congratulations. You get another hundred years of existence thanks to our beautiful, brilliant, disastrous idea. I think what it is is that we're so worried about like all the penalties and the slowdown of the game yeah. and saying that it's making it stale. Well, then just go the total opposite way. There are no referees in the wasteland. There are no referees in the wasteland. That This is a blood sport now. Yep. God, I love it. I fucking love it. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, so that is uh, my cast list, which brings us into our mashups, which... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a little bit of fun here. Uh, for sure, yeah. So um, I am starting off... Uh, Mateo suggested Cherry 2000. Yeah, that was a good choice. Uh, yeah, it was a great choice. I'm. It's been years since I've seen it, but if I remember, it was... Uh, was it Meg Ryan? I can't remember right now. Uh, but it, she was a what a robot in the post-apocalyptic wasteland, yeah. I believe, was the was the basic uh, premise there. And I do like the idea of uh, incorporating androids into the Mad Max universe. Yeah, they should exist in that world. And there is a movie, and I cannot remember the name of it, that actually involves desert post-apocalyptic wasteland with an android. And I cannot remember the name. I will remember it after we're done recording, probably. Cherry 2000 is a really, really good choice. It's got a great aesthetic on its own as well. And, and again, it's been quite a while since I've seen it. But like, yeah, the plot line is interesting. It's a, it's a human story that takes place out there, but among robots and all kinds of other interesting things. So thanks for that, Mateo. We really do appreciate that suggestion. And I think it wouldn't be hard at all to incorporate. I no. mean, you just it's just one new element that you're working into uh, the Mad Max world. Yep. Because Mad Max has already done that a bunch of different times. Like, for example, the first one is very, very tethered to our world and things we understand. It's sawed off shotguns, V8 cars and crumbling buildings, stuff that exists here. But like now, by the time you got to Fury Road, oh, all of a sudden, the, all these things exist. It's great. Yeah. Just random new elements are thrown in all the time that are fantastical, wonderful and cool. So that is uh, Mateo's. And we got we got more suggestions than we have time for. So we're just going to shoot over a few of them here. Uh, Murphy suggested that we incorporate Christine into uh, Mad Max, which... Oh, yeah, we need a sentient car. Like, I was always thinking, like, there would be a great overlap between Knight Rider and Mad Max. Oh, man, I mean, that's basically what Christine would be, except if Kit was really jealous. Or everybody's favorite, trucks. Oh, my God. The vehicles are deadly in Mad Max because of who's driving them. Imagine how much cooler the apocalypse would be if they were deadly on their own. Speaking of trucks, the, uh, I think it was 96, there was the film trucks based on yeah. the same story as maximum overdrive uh that was done recently on beautiful disasters yep the lowdown was on for that one so go check that out for sure sentient cars for sure you got androids why wouldn't you have sentient cars as well yeah now whether it be through magic or uh or technology it would be more the concern on yeah, whether I mean, we're not- on the cusp of the self-driving car anyway here in the modern world all it'll take is a few more years to wait for the apocalypse to happen that's very true that leaves us to, oh, Jack wanted to incorporate Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Ooh, Ooh now the, that is a fantastic aesthetic choice. That is uh, aesthetically, especially specifically discussing it being Tim Burton's Planet yes. of the Apes. I think aesthetic wise, the original is closer to uh, the style of Mad Max than yeah. the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes, which means that in that situation, the apes have it better than the humans do for the most part. Yeah, so it would be the humans stuck in the wasteland while the apes are chilling at the beach camp from the first one, enjoying their nice vacation. Which there is a wasteland, I believe, in the Planet of the Apes yeah. films as well. So that's just basically it, is that you reach the end of the wasteland and it's ape territory. <laughs> 
That is the border. Oh, that is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> That's your prize for crossing the wasteland. <laughs> is, you you get... now have to fend for yourself against apes that are smarter than you, stronger than you, and have better weapons. This apes running gonna, out. This is for Harambe! You're going to wish you were still you. fighting war boys with spears. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a bunch of apes with dicks out uh, <laughs> beating the shit out of you. Then we've got Katie from Nerdcropolis. Uh, she suggested uh, Wolf Creek or Tank Girl. I think Tank Girl is a smarter move. Yeah, Wolf Creek is a little bit more grim, more in the vein of the original. Of course, that's also a brutal Australian outback story. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, Tank Girl is also kind of a no-brainer, is that, again, this being just one little snippet where Max is, of where the world is, there's absolutely a corporation that is is stealing all the water. Yeah. And uh, is controlling everything with having all the gasoline, having all the technology where everybody else is just living in this desert wasteland. I mean, cool. That's just like the American desert, I guess, is where that's happening. (laughs) The true story of California. No, because it's kangaroo people, so that would also be in Australia, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) I mean, Tank Girl is a Cherry 2000, um, Planet of the Apes. All of these really mesh pretty well. The the next one doesn't. (laughs) That's uh, Vermin suggested that we incorporate Breakfast Club into uh, the post-apocalyptic wasteland. You know, you say it doesn't, but like... Your idea involved teens already in the wasteland, so like, you could consider the wasteland to be the ultimate detention site. Your cult leader could be the cruel adult, keeping them all in detention. It works. You have distinct personalities in the wasteland. I guess so. I I just, I'm waiting for that, like, how would you write that letter at the end of Breakfast Club in the post-apocalyptic wasteland? (laughs) What you have here is a war boy, a Mad Max, uh, (laughs) what a Furiosa. I don't care. I just want to hear don't you forget about me as like taillights on a beautiful muscle car go spinning into the wasteland. <laughs> and Max just pumps <laughs> his fist <laughs> in the air. <laughs> God. <laughs> ooh, ooh. To see Furiosa like putting on lipstick for their cleavage. <laughs> She's like, I had to learn after my arm came off. Yeah, I mean, Fury Road really is the breakfast club. It forced a bunch of disparate people together and they had to learn to overcome their differences and work together to achieve a shared common goal. So yeah, it's basically the same movie. I found out the name of the post-apocalyptic movie I was talking about, about an android in the desert. Oh, which one? It's called Everything Beautiful is Far Away. And I believe it was on, I think it was on Hulu for a time, Uh, but I would look it up. It's kind of a slow paced movie, but it's basically a guy that, uh, has this little android head that has like guided him through the desert and he meets another person who is trying to get to, you know, this, the green place basically in this movie and it going against the parameters of the android that's trying to keep this dude alive. So it's within certain parameters, it's safe or not. And he has to like decide whether to go and risk his life with this human person or uh, to keep it safe. And it's a, it's a really well done movie with probably no budget. But they did a great job. Yeah, that's the nice thing is so much of nature with like Mad Max and its universe. Just let it do its thing. For sure. The filming locations on all of them are just perfect. I think the first one had essentially no budget and literally just used stuff that's where the Australian cities start to fall off and turn into outback. <laughs> and then you're perfect. And then, of course, yeah, it went to the deserts of the uh, southern part of Africa for Fury Road. Yeah. Uh, where they actually had to change locations because there were actual like uh, like warring factions and shit yeah. coming through. Which is amazing uh, that it's that real that, yeah, this actually does happen today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, George Miller drew from his own rich experience of life to write the movies and create yeah. and give birth to the universe. 
Now we've got uh, one more before we go into our trailers. We've got uh, Dan bringing Soylent Green to uh, Mad Max, which again, a pretty easy transfer there that you're looking at some of the areas that aren't quite as fallen as uh, the wasteland, Mm -hmm. but is so close that they're actually turning people into food. Yeah, and it's plausible given what Max eats out in the wasteland. Who knows what's in those dog food cans? That's true. And yeah, that might be leftover war boy for all we know. So, uh, which would be nice to just reveal that he's been a cannibal all along. (laughs) Like he's really into it. (laughs) I mean, he was bloodthirsty enough in the first movie to absolutely eat one of his enemies. Sure, for sure. And just like kind of carried that through the rest of the movies, but they kept it on the DL for the most part. And then. So when the green comes about and he's like, oh, sweet. So an entire society that gets me cool on home. And it's like, I found my people. Then it's just like a romantic. This is my green follows. place it's where n- I get to eat as many people as I can. Right? It's not even that he's mad or trying to save the day. He's like, no, I'm into this. This is cool. <laughs> Here's my dog food can fill her up, please. <laughs> <laughs> so the green is people. Oh, the green. So not the yellow. Okay. Then the green, please just fill that up. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. At this point, we're going to do our trailers for the last little bit of this uh, episode here. So, Let me cue up the music. In a world where you're a master or a slave, Melissa McCarthy and Kevin James are finding out the hard way that being a slave sucks. Long drives, radiation sickness, and dick bosses. But a chance encounter with a mysterious stranger teaches them that it's worth it to risk it all. They'll have to cross a harsh wasteland with thousands in pursuit to have one last chance of returning to the world they once knew by finding the last known operating mall food court. Directed by Paul Fig. God damn it. This is why I hate you coming on here, because you speak so well and so <laughs> concise that it's really hard for me to have to deal with you doing a fucking trailer because I'm doing shit off the cuff and have no idea what I'm doing half the time and end up like stumbling over my words and sounding like an asshole. Yeah, but my idea was stupid as fuck to begin with, so... I mean, my idea isn't exactly not stupid as fuck. I'm doing my funny version, so... Oh, okay. Well, then, I'm doing yeah, pretty the dumb. Rob Letterman joint, uh, the kids Max, Mad Max, so <laughs> I apologize in advance for <laughs> what is about to happen here. <laughs> Rob Letterman, director of Goosebumps, Detective Pikachu, and Gulliver's Travels, invites you to the Wasteland. This summer, Guy Pierce plays Mad Max, a man down on his luck that finds redemption through helping out a single mother played by Maya Rudolph. Uh, oh, is it Guy Pierce? Liam, Liam Tedworth as Mad Max. Fuck. Um, as she tries to save her daughter from a killer cult. Her daughter, played by Catherine Newton of Detective Pikachu. Follow Max and the mother as they fight Wretch the Elder, played by Jack Black, uh, a older gentleman that's around a bunch of kids, which is never cool. This summer, help Max find redemption. Mad Max Redemption. See, and you thought that would be bad. That's a gr- I would watch that movie. I fucked up which actors were going to be playing what, like, immediately. I went with, I think, Guy Pierce first. Yeah, well, so does Hollywood half the time. That's true. They do make some really bad choices occasionally, so... Yeah, they'll just slap Tom Cruise in a movie that calls for a strong, silent guy. Yeah, that's definitely Tom yeah. Cruise. You know that. Um, yeah, speaking of bad choices, what's not a bad choice is to subscribe, rate, and review Smack My Pitch Up, wherever you get your podcast, whatever podcatcher app, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Google Podcasts, whatever it is. Uh, subscribe to us, tell your friends about us, follow us on social media. The only smack my pitch up specific social media we have is Facebook. 
Otherwise, follow the Geeks Under the Influence social media at GUI Podcast RVA on Twitter. Uh, we have the hotline at uh, 804-505-4484. That's 804-505-4GUI. Uh, to send info uh, about this podcast or others, what you liked, what you want to see in the future. Uh, tell me about myself if you want. I don't give a shit. That's there to interact with our fans, so definitely utilize it. Geeksundertheinfluence at gmail.com to send us emails, information. If you want us to hear your podcast or you want to um, pitch an idea for a show uh, that you want on the network, hit us up at geeksundertheinfluence at gmail.com. Also remember, we've got merch out the waz on TeePublic. Just go to gypodcast.com slash store to get the link to our TeePublic store. We've got close to 30 designs available currently. The Halloween designs are still available, though in the next uh, few weeks or so, we're going to be shoving some of those back into the uh, into the vaults until next Halloween. So uh, to make room for our holiday designs that will be coming out. So enjoy the rest of the shows in the network this week. Uh, listen to our previous Smack My Pitch Ups, and uh, we'll see you next time. I'm Mike the Hobbit. And I'm Mike. And uh, you just got pitch smacked. GUIPodcast.com <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you.